everyone this is your host rishikesh and welcome to the makers podcast by remote tools each episode we chat with entrepreneurs and indie makers who are building products for the remote working community this podcast is powered by flexible a network of top freelance developers and designers with us today is brennan from soapbox back in college brennan realized the huge potential of a product to help organizations give their employees a voice soapbox was the spawn and Brennan has been working on it since the age of 19. Soapbox has evolved quite a lot now and has rightly become an important part of a modern manager's toolkit for effective meetings. Hey Brennan, thank you for taking out time and welcome to the show. Hey, no worries. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Same here Brennan and so it's been over 9 years since you started Soapbox. So how how's the grind now as like how does your week look like? Is it 40 hours, 80 hours, 100 plus hours? Yeah, it's a good question. How's the grind? I like it. It's it's <laughs> grind. I think I think um, you know, it's not a it's not a job that um uh is for everyone, right? And and if you enjoy the grind, I think it's a great <laughs> I think it's a great job and if you don't enjoy the grind, it's going to get to you over time, but yeah, I'm 9 years in. Um my role, I guess the company's evolved um and then and then um as the company has evolved um and and has grown my role has evolved as well so um you know we we were bootstrapped for a bit um and we grew the company to be about 10 employees and then i kind of became the first manager and um and we got a little bit of funding we grew quick and um uh i think that's when i shifted maybe a little bit from a manager to you know a manager of managers which required different skill sets and things and all of that is you know it's difficult stuff to learn especially when um you know you're you're a programmer or you're a maker right um right. going from kind of maker schedule stuff to to manager schedule stuff was a hard transition for me um but now I'm I'm kind of on the other end of it right so I don't get to code too much I don't get to design too much every once in a while I get my hands dirty but mm-hmm. um uh but no i'm 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 you know more on the manager side of things and 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 my shift my my mental shift has has more been you know how do i build the product um um but i think of the product now as the entire business so you know how do i kind of build that and how do i think about that and how do i get the team so that they're aligned and you know jazz and excited about you know um building uh towards our vision so i don't know if like my time <laughs> commitment has changed too much like you kind of mm-hmm. mentioned what's the average day like um i don't know if that's changed too much i think my hours are way more predictable uh, now than they were at the start like i'm i'm usually in uh 8:30 or 9 i'm usually out uh 6:30 so you know however many hours that is my wife will say it's too many hours and um i always feel like it's not enough so somewhere in between too much and not enough hot <laughs> get got it no that's and that's been an amazing journey throughout we'll cover uh, you know all of the aspects of it but let's quickly start off with uh, you explaining to all of us what soapbox exactly is what it does awesome yeah we are a uh, tool for managers so one of the interesting things you know that we learned um is managers kind of have this or in this interesting position in that you know likely if you're a developer or a designer or a salesperson or whatever you've been you went to school for 4 years to learn computer science and you you got out of school and you started programming and you program for 4 years and if you're any good maybe you get a promotion or whatever maybe you program for 8 years right mm-hmm. and eventually you become an engineering manager or eventually become a sales manager eventually become whatever it is but you know for 10 years of your life you've been trained with a wholly different skill set and somewhere you know along your career someone's tapped you on the shoulder and said you know hey surprise um you know I'm going to give you a career change here but I'm going to disguise it as a promotion and you're not going to be any the wiser but 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 just so you know you're not allowed to program anymore or 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 just so you know you're not allowed to sell anymore or market anymore you have to lead a team of people and your job is to make more of yourself and that's a wholly different skill set um that most people are you know totally underprepared for um you know and then you kind of stack on top of it the fact that most managers manage for 10 years without getting any formal training so right. you basically have a whole bunch of people in the workforce who have no idea what they're doing 
Um, and they're just trying their best to figure it out as they go, um, you know, trial and error wise. And that is, you know, tough. I think it's tough on the managers. I think it's tough on the teams um, because it's trial and error on people's lives, right? We're talking about job titles and compensation and tasks and projects and career, other people's careers. Um, and everyone's kind of just winging it a little bit. So, you know, we kind of discovered the fact that for whatever reason, this group of people don't have a tool, right? Like they don't have a solution, a platform, a, uh, a, an app um, built for them. You have apps for engineers, you have apps for right. salespeople, you have apps for HR professionals, you have apps for finance people and accountants. Um, yet there's no apps for people leaders. And, and most of us, um, as your career kind of progresses, find yourselves in this, um, you know, people leader job. So uh, it's a long-winded way of saying that's what we're doing. We're, we're building an app for that group of people. Um, no one's really kind of done it before. Uh, and we're, we're figuring it out um, just by listening and, and talking and, and kind of forming this community um, of, uh, of managers around us. And wh where we started, and I guess this is to get a little bit more mm -hmm. tactical, what we started was meetings. Um, okay. What we found was, you know, the, the most obvious way of, you know, looking at how our managers actually spending their time um, is to look at their calendar. And so when we looked at it, we, we said, well, what are they doing here that is pure management activity? Um, and when we saw the, you know, sheer volume of meetings um, in there, we said, okay, that might be a, a good starting point um, to, uh, you know, help out a little bit. And if we can make their meetings 10 times better, then we can start layering in the other habits of great managers and, and productizing some of those habits so that, you know, these managers accidentally find themselves um, doing the, the things great managers do. Um, but anyways, we started with meetings. We started with one-on-one -on -one right. meetings, um, team meetings, some of those larger group meetings that managers are doing for their team uh, and came up with a bunch of ways for them to do it better uh, really easily and for their team to do a better job really easily. Um, and that soapbox and it's kind of, you know, started out small, but, um, you know, as we iterated and learned and, and tweaked some things, man, it's just been um, uh, pulling us into the market faster than anything I've, I've ever done before. It's been a pretty exciting ride. Super. And like also, uh, do you uh, also provide content around, uh, you know, let's say learning management or, uh, you know, for all of the target audience or all of the managers as well. So there's, of course, the product that you spoke about, but there's all, is there also content that people can read, people can learn from other people? Yeah, it's a good, that's a good thought. Um, you kind of mentioned learning management. We're, we're trying to steer clear a little bit of the HR words. Oh, okay. Um, only because uh, HR has tried to help this group for, you know, 20, 30 years and they mm -hmm. haven't. So, um you know, internally, when I think about some of these problems, you're right. I think there's like a learning problem. Um, right. But the learning management tools clearly haven't solved that learning problem. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's nuance, right? And that, you know, we're not building it for HR and HR already claimed the word learning management. So so we're trying to figure out different ways of doing that, that that perhaps works uh, for managers a little better. Um, but, um, yeah, we do. We have um, content all over our website and that kind of serves um, two purposes. One is, you know, content marketing to, to, to drive new leads and new opportunities for us, um, right. but then also learning for existing users. And in fact, we're actually baking some of that in. So we have a little AI or machine learning algorithm that mm -hmm. um, uh, looks at what managers are actually doing in app. Um, and then um, based on what they're doing, what they're not doing, recommends, uh, you know, a, a set, a next set of actions. Some of those actions can be, hey, read this article, right? This article might actually give you more context on what you should do next in your ne kind of next journey. Um, as that, that sounds very exciting. And so, how how did it all begin? Like back into like if we have to rewind back to two thousand, yeah. Like how did it all start? Yeah, well, I mean, it all started. There's there's kind of a couple phases, and there's okay. a there's for sure a, a new beginning um, that has okay. happened in the past little bit. But um, started when I was a, a student, and I had you know, feedback for the school. I just, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, I didn't know who to send it to. I didn't know where to put it. And I kind of came up with this idea of what if you could just put it in this app and it would find its way to the right person. Um, and uh, started, you know, kind of 
poking around a little bit at the school, you know, would this work and would the school be interested in it? And ended up uh, talking to the president of the university and, and um, he was like, absolutely, let's build this thing. So started um, there mm -hmm. as a, you know, really as a project um, that I just wanted to build. Um, and uh, as I was doing it, some business leaders in the city were like, can I use this with my, my team? Can I use this with my employees? And I was like, sure, right? Like I didn't, I had no idea what I was getting into. I just kept saying yes to people. And so, you know, at that time, it was, you know, small businesses, large businesses, everything um, all around surfaced on, you know, how do you get the voice of, empl of employees out, um, uh, out of them? Um, and uh, and we, we kind of grew that and scaled that a bit. And then, um, you know, about two years ago, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to, like, have the runway to say, Hey, if we were to reinvent our app and, and kind of be our biggest competition, mm -hmm. knowing everything we know now, instead of um, looking at, you know, the app that existed and, and iterating on it, what if we were to reinvent it? What would that app look like? And that's, that's kind of how we got to where we are. So really big kind of reboot of the business about two years ago. Right. And that's a very interesting way to put it, which is like you thought of yourself as the competition to, let's say, what the earlier version of Soapbox looked like. Right? But you yeah. already, like, till about two years ago before the revamp, right, you had a, a great amount of traction already in place. Did, did that help? Like, how did the uh, transition happen? Like all of those customers moved in to the new version or how was it like? Yeah, great question. So we have... Um, uh, basically a free version, a pro version, and an enterprise version. So nice. most, we were kind of fortunate in that most of our customers were on the enterprise version. So they're still mm -hmm. on the enterprise version. And, and what we didn't have in the past was a free version and a pro version. So uh, okay. Um, okay. kind of the reboot was spending a lot of time on the free and the pro um, and then connecting the dots to enterprise, um, which I think is like, um, still an ongoing process, uh, you know, fully connecting that, um, not because of us, I think a little bit more because of, um, you know, enterprises move a little bit slower. So um, to get them, you know, ready to, to transition to, you know, the additional features is just more work um, than it would be if it was a, a 20 person company. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how the transition happened. I mean, in the same way, uh -huh. when we shifted when we shifted, you know, organizational energy and investment to a free product right. um, and to a pro product, we also basically made, you know, pretty key strategic decisions to say, this is going to be our primary pipeline for our business. And this is going to be our primary sales engine for our business. And the way that we're going to sell into the enterprise is going to change significantly. So, yeah, I mean, two years ago, we had a sales team and, um, you know, two two years and a day, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, or, or I guess um, uh, uh, minus a day would be, um, we didn't have a sales team. So um, mm -hmm. for, two, for two years there, we, we went, um, you know, no sales team and really focused on product and engineering to get um, product market fit for the free product and um, to really optimize our, our acquisition activation channels, to really optimize, you know, long-term retention of the free product, to really optimize, um, you know, conversion to pro. You know, now that's kind of come full circle again and, right. and um, you know, hire out the sales team. D totally different skill sets needed um, now because, uh, yeah. uh, because we're at. But, um, yeah, different, um, kind of fully different process for it. Amazing. So just for us to understand uh, the scale at which Soapbox operates now, could you help us with, let's say, uh, a few numbers around uh, probably the free customers that you have, the ones that you have for pro enterprise and, you know, maybe any any other numbers that could help us gauge the scale of Soapbox? Yeah, I mean, we don't, I try to, I always, it's funny, there are spies that listen to this that are the competition, I think. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm nervous about them because I know they're there. Sure. So if yes. you're, so if the spies are listening, I'll say hi to them. But um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, so we're 30 people here mm -hmm. in, in Toronto, Canada, which probably gives you a sense of scale. Okay. Um, and uh, I think the last publicly, and it's probably old now, is 30,000 30, 30, managers um, use our app. 
to this is uh, including both free and uh, sorry the uh, the free pro and enterprise version this is across all this things. is uh, this does not include the enterprise so the enterprise okay. um, it operates uh, at a different level yeah like from from my in my head like the the uh-huh. stats and metrics on that a little bit more um, that one actually we're we're a little bit more constrained on what we can actually share with with that um, because we have the the enterprise wide deals with um, in place but um, yeah I mean if you can imagine some of the world's largest banks um, world's largest brands we've done things with with Walmart we've done things with Coke and Pepsi we've done things right. with um, you know you kind of name it um, and uh, um, and and so across you know the enterprise side of things um, I haven't run sets recently but um, all in, what I like to say is we've been obsessed over about a million employees um, on how to make feedback um, and how to make work better for those million employees um, through better management. Um, so maybe gives you a little sense of, of no, no, scale. Absolutely. That, that's amazing. And if I have to ask you, what would be your target customer group at this point? What would that be? Yeah, it's a great question. I think this is something that if, if you're starting out, when we kind of rebooted a little bit and said, let's come out with a free product, this was something that um, we got really focused on. And I think it's easy as a as a young entrepreneur or a maker to, to be like, well, I'm building this product and it's going to be for everyone who wants to use it, right? Or if anyone wants to use it, they can use it and great. I, I think the issue there is you start diluting a little bit of your focus. And when you dilute focus, it's not a bad thing if if it uh if it if you can still build at the same pace but mm-hmm. you you can't really be a great product for everyone you have to choose your battles right and i think if you don't choose your battles you end up um you that choice ends up being made for you basically like the first um segment of people who adopt your product are going to be your target and that might be an accident um so you know we were pretty deliberate on who we wanted so happy to share this because I think this is helpful and I would maybe recommend bits and pieces of this to other entrepreneurs or makers who are starting out. Right. So mm-hmm. our target for our free product is mm-hmm. 50 to 500 person scaling tech companies um, to adopt uh, our product. And there, there's reasons for each of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so tech companies is just like a, a moniker, I think, um, internally. You you can obviously don't have to be a tech company, um, but we target people who are techie, we target um, people who understand technology because um, they're early adopters, right? So there's no point for us in um, targeting groups of people with a free product that are late adopters. Um, So we wanna give a really great experience to those people who, you know, understand apps and like apps, right? Um, And we want them to be our evangelists. Um, And the reason that's important is because of feedback. So those, that, that's, the, that's the group of people who will give us feedback really, really quickly. And if we get feedback fast mm-hmm. um, uh, and if we get deployments fast and decisions quickly from those groups of people, then we learn faster than our competition than the spies, right? So, um, so I think that's um, an important piece of it. So um, early adopters, um, tech companies, um, I think, have a lot of those in there um, by nature. Uh, and then 50 to 500 person tech companies uh, what we found is much above five. Now, what I'll say is, obviously, we go above 500. So this is this mm-hmm. is more of just a guideline, right? But okay. um, so we have okay. Am- we have Amazon, Netflix um, as customers. They're obviously larger than 500 people. But um, uh, f- when you go above 500, um, things start being locked down. IT starts locking down uh, adoption of new technology, right? So signing signing in with Google becomes hard and signing in with slack and installing a bot on your slack team becomes right. hard so um you know soft limit there if, if that's a case if you want to do an it tech audit um you know you're probably not for a free product um or for a pro product right um uh and then 50 person companies as a minimum obviously we go below we have a lot of startups um, on it but 50 person companies as a focus is when you start getting managers um, true managers in your company exactly. that aren't the, the founding exec team. So, um, so that's um, that's that's kind of that bottom. And then scaling mm-hmm. is uh, uh, is kind of a rising tides lifts all boats, right? So as you're scaling, you're adding new managers quickly. 
um, your team is growing and we work uh, obviously from, from like a bottoms up perspective, sales product led growth sales perspective um, on a seat on a user basis. So if your company is going from 50 people to 150 people in a year, there's more potential for us to, to grow our revenue um, just by becoming a, you know, a standard tool in your tool chest. So um, for all those reasons, that one, uh, those, those decisions um, were deliberate uh, for us and, and kind of became a part of our strategy. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, target customer group is 50 to 500 person scaling tech companies, um, which allow us to stay focused as a business. Perfect. That's very well put, Brennan. And like with, let's say, remote work catching on and becoming huge now, right? So there are like 100% distributed teams like GitLab and Vision. In fact, GitLab is one of your customers now. And even yep. Zapier is, right? So do you have any specific plans to target these distributed companies and like they also actually uh, fall into your target uh, team size as well which is like all of them almost all of them are somewhere yeah I think 50 to 500 yeah exactly I think I think you're right I mean GitLab is a little bit of, a, of an example of Correct. one that's kind of scaled out of it I mean obviously they're a customer and, and we're going to support them um, through their next kind of phase of growth which is just it's right. phenomenal to watch these guys grow um, and in fact, I think we're more valuable there, but you know, it's good that we got in, um, earlier. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think when you, when you look at remote work, um, I think it's something like 70% of people are remote part-time, right? Like we do uh, work from home Wednesday. So every Wednesday we're a remote company. Um, and then, um, uh, throughout that, there are people who are, you know, remote when they want to remote or work from home when they want to work mm -hmm. from home. So even even the companies that aren't fully remote mandate style, right? Even the companies right. that um, have an office place, I think increasingly more and more um, uh, we're operating as if we were a remote company. There's so many benefits to the discipline that a remote company brings. You have to um, think about your documentation. You have to right. think about um, uh, your process, right? You might over-index a little bit on process and documentation and some of those things at, at the start, um, uh, but that pays off to dividends and, uh, as you go forward. There's a little bit of a, a saying that reminds me of uh, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think remote companies kind of have that feel where you don't get the chaos of, let's just jump in a room and figure it out because that's hard, harder to do, uh, especially across time zones. So you have to be right. a little bit more deliberate with your, your comms and your action. The downside of remote is actually something we can help pretty significantly with, mm -hmm. um, where if you're all distributed, you don't get to hang out with each other. You don't get to talk to each other. There's no chit chats. Um, and as a manager, your job becomes significantly harder because you don't get to see your employees working. You don't get to, watch their body language as you talk about work, right? People, people write, uh, you know, a, a note in GitHub or they write a note in Slack um, and it looks the same whether or not they're, you know, burnt out or um, excited or depressed. Um, and I think as a manager, your job gets harder because you don't know, you know, the emotional state of, of your team. And so things like one-on-ones become 10 times more important at, in remote work. Uh, and, uh, again, I think you, you fall into the same trap of if we're going to be disciplined about it, um, and these are really, really important and we're going to, you know, distract people across different time zones and, uh, you know, turn on our cameras again and, and actually do a one-on-one -on -one or do a team meeting. Um, then I think you're going to want to make sure that that's useful, um, because the bar to, you know, in a, in a remote company to have a meeting is just so much higher. So. Uh, you know, a weekly recurring one-on-one -on -one should be worth your time. And we happen to make that, um, you know, 10 times more productive than, you know, a Google Doc or, uh, or, or, or something. So, um, uh, absolutely. so. And like, even when yeah. I, like, let's say, for example, look at the, the, for example, the agenda templates that you have for one-on-ones, right? As a remote manager, this is of great help to me because as you said, right, that like, I have to make it count and I have to make it more disciplined, more thorough, like the every one on them, because you're actually distracting time zones of other teammates. It becomes much more helpful in a remote setting. Yeah. And in fact, actually, one of the things I think that's that's neat about our app, especially for one-on-ones, is um, ideally a one-on-one -on -one is actually uh, the employees meeting, right? And even though most right. employees don't kind of 
um, take advantage of that. Ideally, it should be kind of the employee's agenda. And so usually that they get steamrolled by managers and it just becomes whatever the manager wants to talk about. But um, but uh, our app makes it really easy and helpful for the employee to say, hey, here are the five things I want to talk about in our time together and in remote work. Uh, if you can get your employees to do that on the weekly or on the biweekly, I think you alleviate 90% of your your people problems, which um, which for most managers is is like 100% of your problems. So um, uh, so yeah, I think as as kind of the the trend of remote work, I don't even know if it's remote work anymore, if it's just work, right? Um, okay. As that continues, it's kind of a no brainer um, for it to continue. Um, I think. Uh, the tools that help you be more disciplined um, automatically will will mm-hmm. continue to kind of um, see the rise. Um, and and in fact, I don't think remote uh, is necessarily only a tech company thing. Um, if you look at, we deal with a lot of um, older style companies that happen to now just be run by, you know, millennials, right? Like they took right. over their dad's business, they took over their parents' business or whatever. And they want to bring technology into, you know, their their family company for the first time. And mm-hmm. some of these folks that I talk to, you know, they're like, listen, we have sales reps that drive around car in their cars all day and um, deliver product or or sell product. Um, and maybe once a month we get them all um, uh, to the office, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those employees, it's the same thing. They're calling in um, to to do a meeting, or they they uh, they can now do a video call or something to do a meeting. But um, you know, they deal with the exact same pains. I think okay, companies like GitLab. Just like a remote setting, just like the way you described, it's very similar to how a you know a usual remote or distributed team would work like as well, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Perfect. And like you also has, you spoke very briefly at the beginning, which is uh, about the new offering that you're working on, which is, I guess, Sidekick, right? Where you are using the information that you already have in uh, making recommendations and being a manager's sort of an AI assistant. What, what is the plan with this? What is this offering that you're working on? Oh, man. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll spill some beans on it. Um, <laughs> so uh, this actually, this was actually, this has actually been the plan for the beginning. So it's, it's taken a while to get here because um, as anyone who's building anything with AI knows, um, that the challenge usually isn't um, what can be machine learned, it's do you have the, uh, do you have the data for the machine learning to, to run? So right. part, of our, part of our strategy with the, the free, um, the, the design of the free product was if we can start capturing um, data in an organized way, we can start um, uh, learning from it um, in an organized way and therefore, um, coming out with, uh, you know, strong AI that's actually useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, two, you know, two years ago, we kind of started on this journey of let's give, let's give this thing away for free. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then, uh, optimize it a little bit. And one of the interesting things that we've been able to do is, um, uh, classify what people are talking about in meetings. So if you take a, an average one-on-one meeting, what we're able to do is say, hey, your you know, one-on-one meeting should be about not only about work, um, although ideally not too much about the status of projects, but not only about work, um, not only about you know, upwards, downwards communication, news sharing, things like that, um, mm-hmm. but they should also be about the employee's growth um, and their professional development um, and also about their motivation. And, and if you kind of factor in you know, those, those two things, you, you get a good... Um, I think you get a good, or sorry, those two like um, axes. You get you get a really good sense of um, you know how that employee is doing and and um, uh, what their potential is uh, at the company. Um, part of your job as a manager is to work on their potential and make them um, the highest potential person that they can be and the highest performing employee that they can be on your team. Um, and part of that uh, is. Um, really hard to to learn and understand um, as a manager because it's a skill set you you probably haven't been trained in and, and exposed to, um, and so the idea of our sidekick or our assistant mm-hmm. is to um, help kind of coach the manager on some of those things, almost as if you had uh, like a coach beside you or a sidekick beside you helping um, train you. Um, and so yeah, as you run one on one meetings. 
mm-hmm. we're able to classify some of the content into some of these buckets. Um, and then based on what you're talking about, what you're not talking about, our assistant is able to um, recommend articles, recommend um, new talking points, new agenda items to your meeting. Um, it's able to recommend, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. I think on top of that, if you're a leader of, a, you know, other leaders, you're able to then coach first-time managers. Um, you know, if you think about being, you know, a VP of a company who has just promoted five new managers, it's kind of a black box. These are people who you know don't, don't you know, know how to manage yet. Um, and they're running their first one-on-ones, but it's a black box. It's private. You don't know what they're talking about. You don't know if the employee likes it. You don't know if the manager feels good about it. So surfacing some of that insights um, to, to both those parties to say, hey, we can make this better, right? And as long as you're comfortable in growing and learning and, and improving, um, uh, then you know we provide you know really great tools to do that. And so the assistant um, is, uh, or the, the sidekick, we're calling it, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, helps not only with um, coaching and guidance and, and pointing out um, some of your blind spots and things like that, which I think is just um, amazing as a, as a manager. Right. Um, then also, uh, you know, helps, helps with the little things, right? Making sure people show up prepared, making sure people follow up on their next steps. So really does kind of turn into um, uh, like a really skilled assistant um, that, you know, is there when you need it. So yeah, there's a lot coming out for that. It's it's funny. Um, I actually think um, that that is kind of the. I mean, it always has been the future of our app, but we're we're almost mm-hmm. at the point where it's going to become the present of our app. And then, um, and I think it's it'll be the primary way people use it um, soon, um, right. or is one of the primary ways people use it soon. So I'm I'm pretty excited for that to come out. That sounds pretty cool. And like, it's uh, you you planning a full blown launch in a few months, right? We're gonna figure it out. I mean, we're pretty. Okay iterative here so um yeah we've got it running i have it i'm using it. i've been using cool. it for a couple weeks now Super. um and, and um uh we're gonna start we have our list so we're gonna start you know one or two people um we'll pull into a uh a, a closed beta and, and iterate on the get their feedback right i think that's the key thing is, is how do we just you know listen to our customers and um and figure out what works for them and so yeah, we, we have uh, a lot of data from the market. We have a, um, uh, a lot of data from our internal usage. And then, yeah, we're going to start um, opening it up uh, in a little bit um, to, to some folks. And then based on that, how that feedback goes, we either iterate or we do a, a larger launch for it. Wonderful. And uh, like, what's next for Soapbox in the coming years? So like, is it, uh, uh, is it just Sidekick that you're focusing on or is it something else that you have in mind as well? No, I uh, no. Sidekick is is really just uh, an interface um, uh, sure. for our app. And the way I think about it is um, most app interfaces are just reactive, right? You see a button, um, and if it's the right button for you, you click on that button, and it does something. I think that the the, the future of interfaces are um, more proactive, uh-huh. um, and so the assistant is is kind of the the best example of or you know a proactive interface where. Um, it can reach out to you and say, hey, um, I think you should click this button, right? Um, which uh, I think for busy people, busy managers, is, uh, and everyone's busy today, right, is, is just the way that um, these interfaces are going to go. So uh, that's, that's more of an interface um, uh, uh, problem um, that we're solving. Um, but from a, a vision perspective and from a, a future you know, product perspective, kind of gave you a little bit of it at the start, you know, we're, we're here to help make, um, you know, turn good managers um, or at least well-intentioned managers into um, the world's best bosses. Um, and so the way to do that um, is almost endless. Uh, obviously it starts somewhere and we chose to start with meetings because that's where managers spend a lot of time. Um, yeah. But um uh, it continues to progress updates and goal tracking and performance reviews and um, 360s and, you know, all these other things that I'll put in like air quotes that HR normally does and, and mm-hmm. tackles. Um, but I think the problem is they've done it so poorly. And so, you know, historically they've done it so poorly in, in such a boring way that feels like a hassle and a mandate 
um, <laughs> that managers are just exhausted by it, right? Yeah. Like they send out pulse surveys every friggin' week to say, see if we're happy, right? And like, <laughs> no one likes filling out surveys. Like, oh my God, right? And then you gotta, now you gotta go, it's performance review season. Like we, we joke about it. Like it's like, oh, it's performance hey. review season. It's the time of year again, we gotta fill out a performance review, which by the way, is like another friggin' survey. So now we're filling out surveys on the weekly and then, you know, month, quarterly, month, bi-yearly bi or yearly, we're filling out a bigger survey for each of our employees. And then we're going to survey our team and do a 360 performance review to get feedback on that, you know, every individual and do peer feedback for each other, which is another survey. Right. Um, we're going to hassle you to fill out a progress report, which, by the way, is like basically a text box. Um, which is emailed to you. So therefore, it's another friggin' survey. So HR has basically just tried to take good management practices and shove them into surveys. Um, <laughs> so Benin, but uh, like you have always been an entrepreneur throughout, right? So you've never borne the brunt of all of this. So like you probably have never received surveys from your HR department, right? Ever, probably. I have because um, because I'm a part of it, right? Like it, like I actually have to do. It's crazy because these these um, the the HR tools that like you know you have over the years, I have to do uh, a, a performance review on myself, even though it I guess technically you can't suddenly remove it all out from your organizations what you're saying right well i think i think they're just done so bad and and it's funny just watching like our own managers saying like well if we're doing our one-on-one properly do we need performance reviews in 360 Mm -hmm. doing if we're doing the daily tasks right do we need to do this yearly thing at the end um and i think there are value there is a value to these hr things um, um that are being done i just think they've been done so bad that and kind of the they're next, probably yeah, overdone as well, right? I mean, done badly and overdone. Yeah, I think I don't even know. Like, I think they've, I uh-huh. think they feel overdone because they're done so badly. Probably. Um, I think if I think if they were done well, maybe the the, the schedule feels right. I mean, mm-hmm. really, they haven't changed. Like, if you're doing a performance review, you're doing the same performance review people did 40 years ago. You're just doing it um, in a Google form, like in a in a glorified Google form, right? So. Um, I think there are ways that it's, I mean, it's like, we're talking about 2020, so you mm-hmm. should go to work in a flying car and then, you know, you should get out of your flying car and hoverboard, um, to your office. And then, you know, we're still saying once you get to your office, you should fill out a, a survey. And I, I think that's wrong. So I think there are ways that if we have the daily data, um, that, uh, you know, we can use, uh, the insights that, um, you know, AI can provide us um, and uh, and the insights we can gather from your existing tools. We kind of serve as the in-between a little bit between the old school HR data entry junk um, and work. And I think that's what HR has been trying to do for a long period of time. They've just missed the mark so severely for the past 20 years that um, what we've, what we kind of say internally is like, um, you know, we're building the first platform, uh, uh, not built for HR, right? Like the first, the first HR platform where HR is not the customer. Um, Absolutely, that's a uh, because, interesting perspective. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Wonderful. And uh, like, this is more of a personal question. Like, let's say if you had to start over, right? So what, what would you do, let's say, differently? Or is there a, even anything that you would do differently? Um, I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty, so who knows? <laughs> Um, But if I was to restart again today, no money, no nothing, what would I do differently? I would, um, I would spend a lot more time building a community marketing um, Mm -hmm. before I started programming or designing. I don't know if I'd be able to follow through on that because I'm more of a programmer designer, I think, than I am a marketer. But I think there's value in doing a ton of user research. And if you're Mm going to do a ton of user research, you might as well blog about it and make a podcast about it and make a video series about it and do guest posts about it and create a Reddit community and create a medium publication, do everything you can because you might as well have a following Mm -hmm. um, and then build a product for that following. Right. So, um, so I would probably start with community. And the good thing about community is, you know, you can probably do that, um, you know, while you're working another job. Um, you can probably write a blog post a day 
Um, you can probably do an, an interview a week. You can probably do right? right without having to quit your job and um, you know put your your family savings on on the line. And then I think once you have a community, you have you just have an unfair advantage, right? Like you have um, more information than than other people, and you have mm-hmm. a community who supports you, right? That you've engaged with, and you have that understanding of them that other people aren't going to have. Um, and then at that point, I would say. Once you have that, um, you know, can you design? And I would just start small um, and iterate as fast as you can. The, the, the big difference between what I was doing before and what I'm doing now is just uh, severe um, discipline. Um, and I think that discipline comes down to a little bit of like, you know, experience. Um, but, uh, but a lot of it comes down to focus. Um, and, and, and that just comes down to making a decision of what you're going to do versus what you're not going to do. So depends on the product, depends on the service, but you know, what we did was we focused, um, very aggressively on retention before we did anything else. So before we had a designer, um, we had to hit retention goals. And so the whole company just cared about, you know, our 14 day retention. Um, and if we got to our benchmark for, you know, our goal for 14 day retention, then we put a designer on it um, to make it look pretty. There's kind of like, there's no point in building an app that looks pretty, but doesn't work. So we might as well make an app that works and is ugly. And if people still use it, because then it, then we can make it look pretty. And you know, when we put a designer on it, retention doubled. So you, you get this compounding effect of that focus. And once we did you know retention, all right, let's work on activation, right? And we worked on activation for a while, you know, and at the expense of other things, right? We we did not focus on conversion to pro. We did not focus on enterprise. We did not focus on, um, you know, marketing. We did not focus on whatever. We just kept our cohorts at a reasonable size um, to get data on activation on the weekly. And and that was the goal is if we can get enough signups to look at our activation metrics weekly and then make a decision, then we have 52 opportunities to learn per year versus if our cohorts are monthly, then we have 12 and a 52, uh, you know, a company that learns 52 times a year is, is better than a, it's going to grow faster than a company that learns 12 times a year. So I, I think that, you know, if I look back to how I originally started, it was very much like, you know, every day, every week, it was whatever I just thought and felt um, where, you know, now I think there's a, a longer term vision that's just incredibly disciplined and, that pays off, right? You get that that same feeling that remote companies I think get, right? You get that slow is smooth and smooth okay. is fast. Absolutely, and uh, you know that's an excellent piece of advice for you know, all budding entrepreneurs as well. Now, what is that one thing or worry that keeps you up at night even today? Oh my God, it changes all the time. Um, I think as a as a CEO, as a founder, uh-huh. um, you're gonna stay up. You're gonna stay up late thinking about uh, a bunch of things um uh but so i'll just riddle them off and then and then i'll i'll see, like what kept me up this week so um you know you're going to be worried about cash you should be worried about cash all the time um whether or not you have it or don't i think the surprise maybe a lot of um you know new young founders um are going to think about is um you know even companies up to IPO, they, they have cash problems. The reason you, the reason you raise from venture capitalists is because your business sucks um, and you need cash, right? Like your business is a business that doesn't make money. Therefore, you have to sell part of your business in order to get cash. It's really stupid when you could just sell your product and get cash from customers. So, you know, every, every venture capital-backed business has a cash, has a fundamental cash flaw. Um, uh, up until, you know, you look at companies like WeWork, right? Like they're, they're mm-hmm. out of cash and they, you know, um, uh, even though they were just about to IPO, um, they were, they're, you know, at the, on the verge of bankruptcy at the same time. Um, so there's really no difference in like cash stress, stress from, you know, early days to, to later days. You just have bigger payments, right? Uh-huh. It's always there. And you have to care about it. If you don't care about it, right. um, then you're going to run out of it and that's going to kill you. So. The saying goes, most startups commit suicide, not murder. Um, or sorry, most startups die from suicide, not murder. So um, don't don't run out of cash. That's the, that's the only way to, to, to kind of ruin your startup. So cash is a big one. 
I think you're going to worry about product market fit forever, whether it's your product is the problem or the marketing is the problem or it's the, the tie-in of those two things or, or what. I think you should always care about that and worry about it. You know, are you doing enough? Do you have it? Do you not have it? Are you getting closer? Are you getting further away from it? Um, uh, and so are you talking to customers enough, right, as, as a founder to, to have a feel for that? So I think it's a little bit more of a feel. Um, mm -hmm. I think you're going to be worried about your team, right? Is the team happy? Are they motivated? Are they performing at the right pace? Is the rhythm of the company in a good spot? I think that's going to frustrate you. If you find yourself frustrated, you're probably worrying about that. Um, and then I think you're going to worry about top line, top line revenue, right? Um, uh, and, and uh, you know, are you growing top line at a, I mean, if you're a startup, are you growing top line at a fast enough pace? And if you're not a startup, then, um, then, you know, are you sustaining that or are you growing it at the pace that you want? Um, and the last one, I think maybe the most important one, because I think it, it helps everything else is just customers. Are customers happy enough, right? Mm -hmm. Are your customer satisfaction scores high or, or is NPS high? Mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously, if you, you have, you know, really happy customers, it, it solves a lot of your problems. Um, uh, and if you have really unhappy um, customers, it causes a lot of problems. So, um, so I think that's a that's an incredibly important one. So what's been keeping me up at night lately, then is um, uh, if I go on the honest view of this, I think there's um, we've re done a really good job of our uh, if if our business is a land and expand model, um, mm. where we we get a manager and land them. Um, and they turn into a pro customer. We've done a really good job of that funnel. Um, and we're pretty happy. There's obvious rooms for improvement. We're pretty happy with it, nice. which is a good thing. I think our pipeline's in a good spot, which is a good thing. I think our next area of focus um, is expansion revenue. And we haven't put much energy on that until now. So um, mm -hmm. a lot of my attention has, has, has just been going towards you know, expansion revenue. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily keeping me up at night and, and keeping me worried or stressed, but um, but a lot of my attention and energy and focus is going towards that. And a lot of my attention and energy and focus is going towards um, getting the word out about our company, right? Like if our funnel, if our funnel to convert customers to pro works really well, then I should tell more people about it, right? <laughs> um, because we Absolutely. can then make more customers. So those are the two things I think that are, that I'm thinking about is is top 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 of funnel, and then the expansion part um, within our customers. Wonderful, Brandon, and it's been uh, an amazing time chatting with you. Like we touched upon an amazing set of aspects about soapbox, about entrepreneurship in general. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, any any parting words or advice for you know, entrepreneurs, makers, anything at all? Oof, to the makers. <laughs> um, parting words of advice. I don't know. I think. You know, my actual advice is probably a longer story, but um, right. I, I would say, like, if I could, can, if if you're listening to this podcast and it sounds what I'm doing sounds interesting, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously come check it out, sign up, uh, bring it to your workplace. But if you're thinking about making the jump, um, you know, to you know, full-time founder entrepreneur, um, maybe I'll be a little bit counter to the. The, the the norm here and just say, m you know, maybe it's not right for you. Um, mm. Not to discourage you from doing it, um, but almost if I could discourage you from doing it, you know, in a 30 second segment um, on a podcast, uh, you know, you're, you're going to quit anyways. So it's a, it's a journey that's hard. It's a journey that um, doesn't always get easier. Um, it, you know, um, takes a lot. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it. Um, and I think there are, you know, really fun ways of having that impact, um, uh, uh without having as much, um, at stake, um, whether it's being an early employee or whether it's being, um, you know, uh, an executive at a, at a scaling company or whether it's, running a side project and, 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 um, and doing it, you know, two hours in the morning before you go to work. I think there, there, there's nothing wrong with having a, an app that you love deeply and is really great and is really niche and is focused on, you know, a core audience and it makes 20 bucks a month. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, um, that might be better for you 
than a 200 person company that that burns money and you have to go out and raise venture capital or or you know or you know you you become we work and and you get kicked out of your own company um or whatever right i i think yeah. there's you know if you know as a maker as a fellow maker who mm-hmm. um you know my engineering team doesn't let me make anymore <laughs> right um <laughs> as a fellow maker talking to fellow makers like it's okay to just make um, it doesn't have to be a business. If you want it to be a business, awesome, right? Like there's never been a better time to start a business. But if you want to make, if you want to just be, you know, continually hone your craft and learn and explore at a fast pace, um, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay that it's, it's uh, you know, just a building community and building a product for a community and, um, and it doesn't have to be this venture-backed um, startup. And not that that's even a pitch to, to not start a company or to start a company, but it, mm-hmm. but really the pitch is, you know, if that sounds more interesting to you than dealing with people problems um, as you as you scale your business um, from, you know, one person to 10 people and 10 people to 30 people um, and dealing with cash issues of, of paying all these people and their families, right, who, who depend on this income. You know, if you'd rather worry about, you know, are you using the latest frameworks and are you building the coolest UI and um, staying up to date with the latest design trends, um, uh, then I would recommend not doing it, right? Like, let's just play with cool technology because there's never been a better time to play with cool technology than, you know, 2019, 2020 anyway. So um, so I think, you know, spend some time um, learning and, and testing um, and there's nothing wrong with, uh with being a maker i think in in fact there's there's a lot um that i envy about um, makers who are able to do it just themselves and are able to do it uh for um you know no money or for free or as a side um side job uh i think there's there's a you know it's a really admirable um uh way to go about it and uh um, and there's nothing wrong with it so so basically my pitch is don't start a business um uh, but if you have to start a business, I'm here to help. Um, find me on Twitter. I'm um, I underscore am underscore Brennan. And if you're really willing to take the plunge, then uh, you know here to here to help you because it's a hard journey. So um, you'll need the help and other people to help me. So willing to pay it forward for sure. Absolutely, and that's very very well put. I think you almost sort of convince a lot of people to actually start up and not otherwise. No. But amazing. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. But thank you so much, Brennan. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, it's been a great conversation. Have a great day. Yeah, it was awesome chatting with you. And thanks for having me on the podcast. And to the listeners out there, thanks for listening. Appreciate it.